Welcome to the final episode of the behind-the-scenes content for The Question, Sins Remembered, presented by Don't Sue Us, Please. In this interview, we sit down with the writer of The Question, Matthew Klein. He's also joined by our director, Kelly Monroe Johnston, and myself, Josh Wilson. This is the interview where we get to discuss the nitty-gritty and super-technical bits of The Question, Sins Remembered. We get really nerdy, and there are so many spoilers. So I'm warning you now, if you have not listened to the first two episodes of The Question, you should go back and listen to them now, or we will ruin them for you. We discuss all sorts of things from acting to writing to timing to directing to music to sound effects to politics to whatever you can think of. And as always with the three of us, we tangent beyond anything comprehensible. So I will be here to guide you through all of those moments, dropping you in and out of the good bits. Just a couple housekeeping things to get out of the way for you. Our first and most important thing is we're currently doing Kickstarter for our next series, April is the Cruelest Month. You can find us on Kickstarter at April is the Cruelest Month. Any support helps. We'd also like to thank our entire community for their support. We've been funded 50% of our goal on Kickstarter in just a week. It's amazing to see, and we thank you so much. Second, you can find us on all social media at The Cruelest Month. All of our handles have changed to that. And by all of our handles, I mean all except one, which is our Patreon. If you really like what we're doing, you can support us on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Enjoy the episode. Well, hang on. So should we do, we'll do a proper intro and do uh, well, a, okay. yeah, let's do a proper intro. It's fun. Yeah. All right. Fine. I'll probably lead in with a bunch of our babble. And then uh, Kelly, this is a note for you that I will probably do. We'll lead in with the babble and then we'll just bring in the, should we do an intro and then just have the intro like 10 minutes in? Yeah, definitely. But keep my, oh, fuck that, please. Would you? This oh yeah, of course. Oh, totally. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead and Matthew, if you want to intro. Matthew's better at it than I am. I'm not going to lie. Best controller. Uh, you're, you're very sweet to lie. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of what are we called now? Don't sue us, please. Are we officially April's the cruelest month? April's the cruelest month. I think we're April. Don't sue us, please. That's where we are right now while don't the Kickstarter. Don't sue us, April. Or it's a bit don't sue us, right April. Now. Yeah. It's a bit fluid. Welcome to Don't Sue Us, April. My name is Matthew Klein. Uh, we are here for another fantastic behind the scenes episode. Uh, with everyone's favorite sound guru, God, what have you, Josh Wilson. Josh, how are you tonight, buddy? I, you know what? I am living somebody's dream. <laughs> the good news is you're not living someone's nightmare yet. Yeah. Well, it depends on who you ask. Well, let's not ask Nora. I was going to say, I was like, there's one person you can ask. My life is their nightmare. And uh, Nora just in case definitely, Nora definitely say that you're not, your life has been a nightmare. But then again... Yeah. You, you and Nora have been busy, so. Yeah. Insanely busy. And uh, for those of you playing home, uh, the drinking game has begun. Every time we say Nora's nightmare, you have to take a shot. Um, except yeah. for you, Kel. So, <laughs> speaking no. of, the third uh, musketeer on the call this evening, we have the lovely and talented Mr. Kelly Monroe Johnston, director, right. showrunner, extraordinary Kelly. Right. How are you doing? I hear you're making wonderful dinner. You have to tell the folks. What are you cooking? Well, I, 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 I um, you know, actually, truth be told, um, I was talking because of the Kickstarter campaign. There have been so many, and this, I mean this, like we have gotten so much support and I love it, but I have gotten back in touch with a bunch of folks that I haven't been in touch with, some of them in years. And I was earlier talking to my college roommate who don- donated to, um, to our Kickstarter campaign uh, Matthew will recognize his name. His name is Jeff Parkinson. 
Oh, Jeff Perkinson. Yes, Jeff Perkinson gave a, a wonderfully generous support um, just a few days ago. Yes, he did. Uh, Jeff, giving you a big shout out, sir. And so uh, let's put it this way, Jeff, you are not in Nora's nightmare. That's that's true. true. And exactly. Have a shot on us. Have a shot, Jeff. So, Go for it. Subsequently, um, we were catching up because we haven't talked. And I'm not kidding. He and his family came to visit New York uh, probably about six years ago when I was running the marathon. I got to see him like briefly. And um, uh, and and we haven't had a chance to catch up since. So we were having a lovely catch up. And I completely got so involved. It was a two-hour conversation. And I did not realize it had been two hours. And my wife stuck her head in and said, said, Hey, you guys, I see that you guys crossed, crossed the, the, the Rubicon and I'm hungry. So I am currently <laughs> making for my wife and I cheeseburgers. That is a special recipe that only I know. Um, and of course, as I said, gentlemen, if you're willing to come over, I will make them for you, but I will not reveal what is in them on the air. So, well, now, now wait a second, uh, Mr. Johnston, uh, for the listeners at home, perhaps, Someday, if we get fully funded for uh, April's The Cruelest Month, yeah. might you then give one of your secret ingredients uh, to the Patreon? One for each thousand over in the stretch goal. You know one for each thousand over. If we, I tell you, here's the deal I will make right now. If our Kickstarter campaign goes, I don't want to give it away for cheap. If we hit, if we hit the big, big, big stretch goal, if we get to 10 grand, Oof. I will give away the recipe. Well, ladies and gentlemen, lovely listeners, uh, you have been absolutely amazing. We are one week into a four-week uh, Kickstarter campaign for April's The Cruelest Month to bring you all the thrilling untold tales of history's most insane events that happened in the month of April. And there are so many, it's insane. And we, we love you for it. We are so appreciative. The amount of support has been amazing. In, in one week, we have passed the 50% mark, which is such an incredible achievement uh, for, for our crew here. And we, we love you. We appreciate your support. Uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, who knows where we're at, but spread the word. Uh, if you can pledge, amazing. We've got everything from $5 and up. If you uh, can spread the word on social media, retweet, like the posts out there, get the word out. We're sending you emails, forward those on to your peeps. Uh, this cannot happen without you. You are building the world with us, and, and we're so if, grateful for if it. If you get us to ten thousand, I'll teach you how to make a damn fine cheeseburger. Well, I, I mean, I will fly to New York personally, and we will film like a full Bon Appetit style video. Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm in. I love that plan. So you I, you heard it here. Sure. You heard it here, and a, a brand new stretch goal. That has not been officially put on the Kickstarter yet, but we're going to add it at some point. (laughs) Josh Wilson will fly out across the country in COVID times. He will do it safely, very safely. He will take a test first, test when he gets here, and uh, and we'll do a live special, a live cooking special on Twitch. We'll stream it. That will then be available uh, on Patreon. It'll be very exciting. Um, All right, but we should make clear that the reason we are speaking to everyone at this time is not, in fact, due to April is the coolest month, although that is going to be stellar and exciting. We're actually here to talk about something we have done, which is the question since remembered, which was, in fact, penned by our own lovely Matthew Klein. Um, Guilty. And so the first question I have, Mr. Klein, and I'm I'm genuinely curious because I only know bits and pieces, Tell us, uh, if you would, when did you first become enamored of the question? What's your what's your history with the character and the comics? So uh, I spoke a little bit about this, I think, in, in one of the group discussions. But uh, the question for me, uh, I think I first really came across him uh, as far as comic books go in a series called 52, which was a weekly uh, post-event event series by DC Comics. That. Um, at the point in time, uh, there was an incredibly cute girl down the hall named Samantha Sharon, who I had the massivest crush on, and she was reading 52. And so I started reading comic books to have something to talk to her about. Never had the nerve to ask her Wait, out, although... You, hang on, back time. You didn't do comics before college? 
No, no. So I had, you know, my uncle had bought me like Death of Superman. And when they killed Jason Todd and was like, these are important things. You're going to really like this. And I had read them and then just put them away and, and never really got into it. For me, it was all through the animated series. You know, I was, I grew up in one of the golden ages of, of animation on Saturday mornings with Batman, the animated series, the Spider-Man cartoon show, um, Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, um just it was it was a murderer's row of you Saturday watched, morning animation. Did you watch Freakazoid? Damn right I watched Freakazoid. <laughs> Freakazoid. Freakazoid. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and so so the question came onto a series called Justice League Unlimited, which was a sequel to the Timverse cartoon shows. Voiced by and, Jeff Coombs, for those of you that would know yes. that actor. And uh, and one of my favorite episodes was uh, an episode called Double Date, which was penned, penned by the uh, incomparable Gail Simone. Um, if Gail ever listens to this, uh, I love you, Gail. Um, I've met you a bunch of times and you have no memory of me, I promise you. But um, Gail, I don't so know that, you, but I genuinely like your writing. Indeed. So I... Through that, I got to know the character and then slowly but surely, and I was fascinated because I'm a big fan of noir. I, I love a dark and gritty, hard-boiled kind of thing. As soon as we finish up here, I've got about three pages of a noir comic to go write. And um, more on that to come, dear listeners. But um, the Instagram thing? This is an Instagram, yes, a webcomic nice. I'm working on. So... Uh, so from there, I started researching more because I'm that kind of person that once once I get a little interested, I just go full on and must know everything that there is to know ever in the history about it. This is my personality. I think it's one of the reasons we all gel together as a team is yeah. I think we all kind of I have that personality. Us, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, one of Nora's nightmares that we're all having a, one of our weekly meetings and we suddenly get on a new tangent and we decide that that's going to become the new thing that we do for the rest of the time. We are just so deep in it. Yeah. yeah. That is, that is actually her ongoing nightmare that we're going to tra- trade up on her without telling her. So yeah. bottoms up everybody. So, um, so I started reading the, probably the most famous and uh, revered run, which is uh, by a creative team named Denny O'Neill and Dennis Cowan were the writer and artist respectively. And it came out in the mid eighties um, around the time of like Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. And it was a time where comics were getting a little bit more introspective. And it was also bringing in, uh, you know, things like Buddhism and Zen philosophy, which were becoming more culturally, you know, penetrating the West at that point in time. And it was just this guy with no powers, he just wears a really kick-ass coat, a hat, and he happens to wear a mask that covers his face. Well, and doesn't, doesn't just cover his face. It, it, I mean, it can do more than that, but originally it was mainly just, it covered his face. And so it was, it was this idea of, you know, what one man's grit and determination could do, and his supervillains, like he'd have a few like pop in from the rest of the DC universe, but his villain was corruption. His villain was uh, the system. His villain was apathy. His villains were the willingness to let bad people continue to do bad things rather than make the moral and the right choice. And, and that I always found so compelling in a world of gods it was one man taking on a very human, very relatable conflict and doing it away without, you know, all the crazy toys and all the crazy resources that you usually saw. And so that's when I fell in love with Big Sage. Okay. And so it was because that he was just a guy and just a unlike dude. Batman, he doesn't have the funding to like make bat shark repellent yeah he doesn't no, but have he, luxury of being rich as his superpower no and but he is a fan of batman which i love about it and there's a there's a tremendous um moment in the in the denny o'neill series where batman literally is like you don't know what you're doing you can't you shouldn't be doing this what's wrong with you stop stealing my gimmick as they say in the pro wrestling circles <laughs> and it's just and all he wants, like on, on some level, is he really wants Batman's approval because, like, Batman 
on some levels, a bit of an inspiration to him. And that was another reason I related to him was like, I'm a fan of Batman. I would love to do that sort of things, but he actually took it upon himself to, to do something about it. So that was really came, you know, it, it came from the, the noir roots and the contrast of somebody like a Superman, the contrast of a Wonder Woman, where it's not so fantastical, but it's just as fantastic. Let's be very clear. If you're this far and you haven't listened to questions since remember part one and two. Right now. It's an hour of your time in total. It's a great listen. Thanks to the two gentlemen I'm talking to here and the incredible cast uh, who built this world, make it a point. But now spoilers from this point out, spoilers are, are happening. Go for it, Kel. All right. So in the script, you know, he figures out that there's a serial killer and it's, it's, it's a morality based slash vengeance based thing. Like, like not unlike the movie seven where people are being killed consummate to the crimes that are perceived. Right. But one of the things that I think is very interesting about that, Matthew, is that uh, Izzy O'Toole, the Lieutenant on the police force that the question communicates with predominantly like like not unlike commissioner gordon and batman like there's a primary contact there izzy o'toole and the police force have no idea that there's a serial killer operating and while you don't address this specifically a, a thing that is historically true that has worked in the favor of serial killers is if it's a certain segment of society no one bothers to notice or ask the question. No one I mean, cares the, enough to look, right? You look at the Atlanta child murders. I mean, that's the, it's, it's one of the prime examples people hold up there is it's, you know, that was a community that no one gave a shit about. And there were, there was such community outrage, but that community did not have political power to force the police force to really look at it. And, Serial killers were a thing, you know, Bundy had happened, Manson had happened, Gacy had happened, Son of Sam had happened by this point as as it begins in the question. But back then, especially, you weren't looking for it. It wasn't something, you know, behavioral science was just coming into fruition. And also one of the reasons these guys would get away with it from so long is that jurisdictions didn't talk to each other. You know, so if you committed a crime in Illinois, but then you went and you killed someone else in Wisconsin, you could be three hours away by drive, but it's like you might as well have been on the other side of the earth. The police just didn't share information. There was no national database. It is very startling. And and Josh, I mean, actually, I'm I'm older than both of you by decades. That is true. Yes, it is not an exaggeration to say that. the internet has made the world a much smaller place. Now that's, but that that's both positive and negative, but to your point, Matthew, pre-internet, why is, you know, Illinois talking to Wisconsin about a thing would require effort and coordination, et cetera. And now you just click online and, and look up the records, right? We have a worldwide <laughs> database that if you have access, will show you anything anywhere. Right. So Golden, Golden State Killer is another tremendous true crime example of he didn't even have to go across state lines. He just had to go to different parts of the state 100 miles away. Right. And those those precincts would not communicate. They would they wouldn't think to warn each other. Well, um, it, it, it the one that um, it was it was the, it was cracked, not by the police, but by um the author, right? Um, yes and no. I mean, it, it's uh, Golden State Killer. We, we've entered a new age um, of basically like forensic genealogy being used now to, uh, to track cold cases, um, which is it's since the existence and invention of DNA, basically, um, and DNA testing, this is the next big breakthrough that you could now see a fuck ton of cold cases and you're seeing them. Um, 30, 40 years ago. And it, and it's one of those things. And this was a guy that really wasn't even on anyone's suspect list, right? barely there. And they, they managed to find him through that. So, and, and that was one of the reasons why it was important. I, I love, you know, for, for the question since remembered, and also for one of the scripts I've been working on, actually a couple of the scripts I'm working on for April is the cruelest month. I think that there is so much 
to be learned and so much commentary you can do with today by going and re-examining certain points in history. It's, it's the old adage, what, if we do not learn from our history, we are doomed to repeat it. Yep. And one of the things that I loved about working on the question is that looking at mid-1980s you know, political corruption, moral majority, and saying, no, 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 this is also very relevant right now. You know, we're doing that with the coward George Azeroth, you know, from 1865. And how is it like 2020? And those comparisons are there forever. And it's, it's so important to remember that just because time has passed does not mean we of a society have actually passed beyond these things. I'd, I'd just like to put a point out, um, I, as our continue to talk about serial killers i just started texting andrea who is a serial killer fiend yes she um, is you guys were, i was like she she needs to be <laughs> i just texted her i was like i was like i jokingly like i was like i almost want to phone you in let's go <laughs> <laughs> andrew who is one of our phenomenal patreon supporters Forensic um, we had on a corner. That shit. Are you kidding me welcome to our first tangent of the episode listeners we really love our patron andrea she's the best and we gushed about her and joked for like five minutes. Andrea, if you want to hear that cut, let me know. Anyways, I'm going to bring us back onto track with Matthew talking about one of his favorite scenes, which is the morgue scene from episode two of The Question. Her monologue, and and I owe so much of that to you, Josh. I, I thought the, the sound design leading up to that moment, the conversation there, just the feeling of being so alone in that, that room. That room is very creepy. And in a room of death, it's so creepy, but at the same time, she feels so safe. So I, so that actually plays on a, on a question I have for you, Josh. Yeah. And I, I, I actually, I tend to have these questions about all the scripts that you see. So uh-huh. you get to read these scripts and you're, right. you've got to build the worlds right. from scratch. So I was curious when you were reading the question, mm-hmm. was there a scene that jumped out at you that you're like, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on this. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, there were there were there were a few that really stood out. So the really ones that really stood out to me were the first scene um and the last scene of the series. Ah, uh, Shiva. She because well, it's just such a tone change that I was like, oh, that's gonna be wild. Um and then the first scene with Tot, because I just got such strong batman alfred vibes um <laughs> particularly um as i as i am um has been joked upon and stated i am virtually 12 years old um i grew up with the nolan batman movies uh think about that i grew up with those wow batman begins wow. came out when i was like okay 10. you know what we don't need to get into the specifics of that josh no, but, no so you, so go on it's a movie that I have seen, like, especially The Dark Knight is a movie I've seen a million times. Sure. Um, and there's a scene where he's like down in the, you know, the, the back cave is like the below ground shipping yard. And he's mm-hmm. talking. It's the scene where Alfred goes on his long, you know, the Michael Caine monologue. But uh, right. I was in the forest of Bangladesh um, right. when he... Um, <laughs> Oh, that was embarrassing. Um, Some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. It's yeah. that where, like, I just got that instant vibe when he was talking with Todd. I was like, that's this scene. Um, and then, like, mostly the, t- actually, the Todd and Vic scenes were the ones that I was like the most excited about all around, just because, which is interesting because it was the, I didn't really play around with those scenes a lot because they, they didn't really ask for it in a certain way like Mm -hmm. Todd operates under like very specific like sets of rules like within like the way it's presented to the audience like he it's a it's a like a ritualistic scheduled thing when Todd appears like he's got the he makes the tea the tv's on in the back the door's in the same place he's in the same spot he's got basically the same tone until his penultimate appearance when he, you know, when Vic comes blaring in and um, is half dead. And in that scene, you know, there's no music at the beginning. There's no, like, I wrote the standard for Todd. Like, I wrote that isolated of the scene. Like, I listened to the scene, like, of course. Like, I was 
there when it was recorded and all of that. And I knew how long it was. And I said, hey, I've got for the first one, three and a half, four minutes. I need to write a jazz standard because I think that fits really well for this. A jazz combo standard that is about that long. And I, you know, I've was a gigging jazz musician before I was <laughs> on this job. And like, I, I've played a million standards. I've written standards on like the bandstand with groups that I'm playing with as jokes. Like this was like a very routine thing. And then I was like, I am so excited to rip that away when Vic comes in. Cause that doesn't play at the beginning. And then it's a lot of just, that is one of the really big tone shifts where you get a lot of different, like almost synthesized elements and a lot of creepier and more tragic things underneath. Like the turning point is Myra's speech to Wesley. Like that is the turning mm-hmm. point in the score when yeah. you're like, Oh, this sounds different. Like we are in a new place. Um, like where it opens up with like fun jazz. Um, this guy kicks ass, which is like, how I wanted you to feel like that was always the interpretation I got from the first scene. I was like, this guy kicks ass. Like, right. And not just in the, like in the super gritty Nolan Batman way, but also like this guy is like eighties kick ass comic book. Like, bang, he's like, Batman notice me. Um, like that's how I wanted that to feel. Like you are like almost Deadpool esque, you know, where Deadpool is just trying to impress the X-Men. Like yeah. that's yeah. like, that's kind of what I wanted, just not with that, you know, like that sort of character thing. Um, sure. I, I find it really interesting, like as the score, like I didn't plan the score to evolve that way. Mm-hmm. I more wrote the first, I wrote the first episode. Um, and before we had even chatted about the, the tone of it and where we thought it was going, I was like, that's not going to work for the second episode. Like what is in the first episode? Like, unlike the four episode arcs that we've done before the question is very quick in its development like it is very quickly like for me at least i'm so used to the two hour arc that we have having it happen in an hour where i'm like oh shit i have to have this theme developed in this sort of way by now instead of like halfway through episode three um where like a lot of times in episode two like you can just sort of develop it a little bit and then go write a bunch of other music that you want to write in the question everything has to be written for a goal like you are going somewhere um so like i knew that things had to change in the second episode i'm really curious i don't know how to word this the right way there's only the right way mm, yeah I'm there's no to- wrong way of course there's a wrong way there's always a wrong there's way. always spoken like a true director so of what's really interesting not. to me actually because kelly you brought this up i i will throw this i will throw this to you guys because I, I will explain my plight and see if you can explain it back to me which is actually just how i do my job with kelly um <laughs> i find my problem and then he usually just recites his answer back to me in the form of the same problem but slightly different um, and I want to see, okay. and actually, usually the way he sends it back to me is super helpful because then I'm like, oh, the answer is this. I just didn't think of it from that angle. I try to be helpful. Extremely great direction. But I think, so the we had talked about the dialogue between like your super snappy dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I've had this issue with both of the scripts that I've worked on that you've written. I have no idea how to score your really fast dialogue to the point in the question where we pulled out the music that I scored for your first really quick dialogue, like the really intense one, the one between Myra and Vic, we just removed it. Um, And I don't know if that's because it doesn't need music, like the dialogue holds its own weight. Kelly is nodding. You, Kelly, you cannot see this listeners, but Kelly is nodding. Kelly is nodding. Like a, that's, that's actually what it is, I think. But what's your other what's your other suggestion, Josh? My other idea is I haven't quite pinned down the form of it. So like usually conversations like music and everything else have a specific form to it. People talk at a very specific speed at specific intervals for a specific length of time. Like music, it's a really weird thing. You can notice it in 
books are really good about it. Like when you look at like chapters and how they're written, like you can just sort of see the form about how things see and like, cause I'm in, I'm weirdest shit. Um, I noticed like patterns in paragraph sizes in dialogue. Like when you're sure. looking at that, you're like, oh, it's going like this. And like, for me, that's really common. I mean, music is just the form. And so I'm interested so I have two questions actually. First, what kind of form do you, like what do you think it is? Do you think it's just straight up back and forth at whatever speed, whatever interval feels right? Or are you going to like Spike Lee as a director will edit, like will shoot and edit to a click track, like a metronome. Like he will play a click track while he is filming and will change and do all those things to a click. And then gives that click off to his composer or music editor. Um, do you think in that? So, I mean, you are visibly surprised by that. I don't. Uh, so I doubt you really. I never heard of the way. click. I never heard of Spike's uh, tactic there. That's you a very watch cool it, idea. And musicians do it all the time. He's a bit, he's a big running thing. You can watch and you can just watch him go and you can, they'll just snap along and you'll watch it cuts right. It's just Brilliant. bang, 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 bang. And like, that's a big way how they shoot commercials too. I mean, commercials like with all this so so for me one of the reasons that i i write dialogue the way that i do and how i envision it is um um this is going to sound horrible and that's why i'm going to say it this way so nora get ready for a new nightmare that's five I believe so um i hate acting right okay yeah no that's fine so so the reason i some of it in the way that I, I write is that I write so that there's very little pause because I have found, and this, this came especially when I was working with less well-trained actors and well-trained directors is that, is that if I don't give them the time to overthink the moment, they'll actually be in the moment. And so the dialogue actually became a way that as a writer, I could try and make the scene a little bit more locked in, in a certain rhythm, so that I, as a writer, my intentions could be clear to the actors and to the director. And it's a way that I communicate with them. And one of the things that I communicate with, and, and I, you know, Kelly, Kelly has seen this, unfortunately, but, you know, I, I took a little bit of director training as well, is uh, my advice is always think on the line think on the line, be in the moment, think as you're speaking, don't stop to have a thought and then say a word. Mm -hmm. It slows everything down. And I am terrified of momentum being stopped short. And there is great silence where you earn the silence. And, and Myra's you know, monologue is one of those moments, I think that we earned the, the pace of that scene. Too often, you see too many times people try and take that silence um, when it hasn't been earned. And so I, I love, I, you know, and for me, I'm, a, I'm also a very big jazz fan. I, I love jazz. I grew up on swing music, especially. So for me, that kind of bop, 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 just I, I want to hear that. And I love that rhythm to it. And there's an energy to it. And it's also a way to keep people fresh and to keep their energy up is you've got to talk fast. You've got to be thinking as you're going. You don't have time to take a breath. And that's a really cool thing. And it's, it's one of the things that I, I always like to do with dialogue. And then, then I just fell into the rhythm and I fell in love with the rhythm of it as, as much as anything else. So, so, so for I, me, that's part of where it comes from. It's also just insecurity. Um, <laughs> the fairest of answers, my answer to everything. Um, it's it's I, insecurity as a writer too, is I don't know what to do with silence. Sure. Um, and, I mean, and in silence, there's more opportunity for things to go horribly wrong. <laughs> well, I just love, as opposed to me, I, I, Kelly gives me a note. There's always at least one of these notes in the revisions for these episodes is I'm a huge fan of silences and pauses. Like I am very like, just in the way that I set things. And there's always a note of Kelly's like, your pause is too long. Don't pause here. And I'm like, I'm always like, there's a couple, I'm sure it's going to happen um, with byliners coming. Cause there's one, there's one pause. In the, actually there's 
two and one was not edited that way one is done by the actress and the second is one that i did where in the in the first scene we can cut this out because i'm sure kelly you're going to tell me we'll cut this out but in the first (laughs) scene braxton like lois floors braxton and he pauses for a solid like second and a half two seconds where and then just goes I'm not sure what you're asking. And it's like this pause where you just know she just kicked him. Like she just got him. And like, I think the first time it hears her, oh, hi, Rogue. Rogue. The first time you hear it, it'll be like, it's it's kind of jarring. And I really like it that way because it's like, is, is he okay? And he's, I'm, and the second time you hear it through, like if you listen to the whole series and you come back around, you're like, she just totally kicked his ass. That's all it was. Um. But you'll probably say it's too long. And I mean, for you, Kel, you know, I'm you're... drag you in. Yeah, let's drag him in. So, I mean, for you as as well, you know, one, you're, you're very familiar with my writing at this point after all the years that, that yeah. we've been working together. Yeah. Um, you know, so... So for you, in terms of kind of rhythm and pacing, which is something we've been talking about here, where do you approach, how do you approach from kind of a, a uh, the pacing standpoint when you get a, a scene with so much dialogue in it um, and how you're expecting it to sound and how you're talking your way through, you know, the pacing of, of a scene like that? I tend to be a little more um, fluid, I think, in the way I think about it than, than you guys and, and neither good nor bad, but I, I think, I think in terms of story, first and foremost, always, like what is the story being told and what serves the story being told and what does not. So um, in terms of, for instance, your your writing, Matthew, you write at what I consider to be a, a breakneck pace, like everything in your plays move. There's no, there is no pausing, there is no stalling, there is no standstill. Unless there is a, a specific moment, and even then, it is it is only stopped or paused or whatever for as long as is necessary, and then and then it goes right back to it. Like that's a g- gross generalization, but in in general, that's true of your writing. Um, not every author writes that way, and therefore they can't be treated that way. Um, but for me, for instance, like when you guys are talking about, and the reason I was so sure earlier when I was nodding my ahead about your comment, Josh, is because dialogue that is, uh, that is telling the story, you know, banter that is moving the plot forward and, and like sharing in the world of the characters, that's, that is the story in its entirety. It doesn't need anything. Um, it, it is, uh, to quote Shakespeare, it is adding sauce to sugar. Um, you, you don't, you don't need it. It's, it's enough, right? So the thing is, though, is that I'm looking at what's serving a moment in individual moments or in individual scenes, and then it's a second process to step back and go, okay, is it, are these, all these individual moments serving the overarching story? And one of the things that we found, for instance, uh, to Josh's point, is that the first scene with, with Myra and Vic it was, I don't know, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it was over-orchestrated in the sense of we had music under it. And it was like, the music is not serving this. It's not helping yeah, us in much. any yeah, way. I agree with that. Um, the dialogue is what we need, not, not musical accompaniment. Sometimes you need to have music, music to, to set an air. Like, for instance, the fight in the first scene. First scene of the first episode, right? First scene of the first episode. Yes, sorry. Yeah. First scene of the first. Tony episode. and Fringe get their ass kicked. Yes, part a great, million. Great scene, and it would be okay without music, but the music in that scene fills in all the blanks of the imagination. You have a sense of the pace of how fast they're moving, of how dynamic the punches are, because of the music that is actually underneath. It isn't just the actor's reactions. It isn't just what you wrote, Matthew. 
the music actually fills in the blanks because we don't have a visual. The music is the visual in that moment. We need it in order for that fight to work as well as it does. And, and to bolster that argument is the fact that the timing of the scene matched up to the music that Josh was doing with very little effort because there is a rhythm to it. It's inherently there. All we're doing is enhancing that rhythm and fleshing it out in a specific way. But then when you get into a conversation between two people, Myra and Vic, that's passionate and impassioned, that is that is smart and funny and driven, there doesn't need to be music on that because that is in of itself enough. But it's also a matter of it's two people sitting in an office arguing over a desk as opposed to the first scene, which is three guys in like a warehouse having a big brawl. Thrown into power. They're very different. They're After different. discussing scones. And know, discussing scones. Potential scones. More, more particularly, orange yeah. zest. Surprise, listeners. It's me. This tangent actually wasn't a tangent. It's content that we decided to give to our Patreon subscribers about the history and origin of orange zest within our universe. If something that weirdly specific interests you, you should go find us on Patreon. Now back to the rest of the episode. Part of, part of what, what show running the job entails is saying to Josh, this is not clear. This sound that you're like, this, this, I, this, this image you're trying to create audially is not reading. It is missing or the, the following, or it needs to be reduced in the following way. So like, we talk about weird things like how would a morgue sound? Is there reverb? How much? Re- it's mostly metal and stone. It's going to be cold because it's a morgue. Does that affect the way the sound can't travels through the air? And then in that particular scene, Josh, do you remember the, the thing that we had to fix? Which one was it? In the morgue, in the morgue with, uh, with um, Dr. Spalding and, and um, Myra. Didn't we have to put her foot further away? What? No, I can't remember what I did with her. The door. The door. Because there's a moment where Dr. Spalding leaves and Josh had a door. And I listened to it and I went, that is a wooden door in a wooden frame. And that is not what that morgue sounds like. Given given the sound we created in the morgue of like stone and, and steel and cement, that door doesn't make sense. And here's the thing. I don't think for an instant that there's an audience member out there that's going to immediately go, oh, that's the wrong door. They're not going to do that. Instead, oh, what's going to happen? Weird dudes. <laughs> right. Instead, they're going to hear it and they're going to go, that didn't sound right. Right. And, and it's going to be a minor thing in the back of their head, but it, that didn't sound right. And that's all they're going to take away from is it wasn't quite right. And so, so I go for like, okay – what serves the story in that instance? What do I notice that is pulling us out of the story or detracting from it? So whereas Josh is thinking of it in terms of the musicality of it, right? The rhythm of it. And, and Matthew, you're, you're saying like, I just want to eliminate silence. And I totally get that, especially when you consider that we're an audio podcast. Josh, you're thinking in terms of rhythm and I'm thinking in terms of what is the story and what is going to serve the story at any given time? Well, It's the final tangent. We talk about the history of the podcast and how we got our jobs and how we got here, just sort of meandering through it. And it's honestly something that we've talked about in a million other episodes. So I'm going to spare you that and bring you to the final question. And my final question that we we will throw to is, what scene surprised you when you heard it that sounded different than you had envisioned? Either when you read the script or you were at the table read or in a recording session, because there is a there is a gap of time for the listeners out there. There is a gap of time about a week and a half to two weeks where I just disappear after it's recorded and they come back and there's a full episode. So there's a there's a little gap in there. There's no I've while they're uh, spinning on their scenes, uh, there's a gap of time where they don't know what's going to happen. And I, you know, I found that sending in check lessons and little parts doesn't really give them the full vision. They like to hear the full thing. So I just always just wait and send the whole thing. So after that, for Matthew, I'm sure excruciating gap of time. Yeah. It's, it's not as pronounced for me because I, I pick, I, you get, I you I'm get bits. out the takes of the actors and then, I I'm listening to early versions before we have a locked one. So I yeah, you get idea sketches and stuff yeah. like that. 
but there's still a big gap. So Matthew, what surprised you the most from when you wrote it? Like that layering idea, like what you had envisioned, like what really you're like, oh, that's not it. And it can be for good or for bad. Um, I think that for me, um, two scenes come to mind right off the bat. Um, one is the, uh, the climactic showdown between Mikado and Myra and Vic. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it was not scored the way that I expected it to be. I'm trying to remember how it sounded right now. I can't remember my own music. It was, it was, and, and I think that's, you know, I, I thought you would go a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more like brassy and a little bit, like a little bit of a bigger sound for it. And it was, it wasn't quite, it was, it was, a, it was different and it was different in a very interesting way where it, it felt a lot more intimate than I yeah. was expecting it to. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and again, that's, that's not a bad thing. I was just like very surprised at it. And then, but it made total sense for, for where we were in their character arcs too, which was like, it was, you know, it was three people having a very clear moment individually on, you know, a moment of no return. But weirdly together. But, but they happen to be in the same room and yeah. interacting with each other. But Mikado is compromising, you know, her last bit of moral, you know, altitude because she's about to kill someone who doesn't deserve it. Um, Myra is making a stand and finally being able to show that she's not a victim in any way, shape or form and be the hero of her own story and rescue herself. And then for Vic, he is put to the decision of will he or will he not kill, you know, in the moment um, that it's finally confronting him and which path do they take? So all three of them are having very individual, very intimate, very clear, you know, moments of decision. And yet uh, they are all just, they're all having it together in the same place at the same time uh, through circumstance. So the, the scoring really played with that in a way that was, that was super cool. Um, and then for me, uh, another one that came to mind um, as well was, um, was the hospital scene at the end of episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not the, not so much the fighting scene and the commotion that, that I had a, I, I thought I had a pretty good sense of where you'd go with that, Josh, sure. but more the, the, the one-on-one between Izzy and Wesley, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, Wesley's like trying to cheer him up and everything. And that, that scene, that scene was a little different for me. I think it was the sound quality of the, the metal bed. I could really like feel kind of like the metal in the room and the plastic in the room and just this very kind of like medicinal, you know, quality there, the sterility, the sterility of the space. That's what it was for me that I was a little, I was, I was kind of like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's cool. Mr. Johnston. Uh, I, I think the thing that surprised me the most, honestly, um, were Hatch's monologues. Oh, um, God! Shout out to Eric. And uh, yeah, Eric just I, destroyed it. Just Eric Ransom, who who played Reverend Hatch, and I mean, like you know, everybody was wonderful. Heidi Arm Arm Brewster is uh, as oh, they were all just um, an absolute joy. Fredo Fredo Narciso as the question. Chris Anthony as Mikado. Since we've been talking about specific characters and moments but but eric ransom uh who plays the reverend hatch got just clearly had a handle on the character and he took it in a direction that i i would not have i i i certainly didn't suggest it he came across it on his own and it totally unprompted yeah and and the thing is is that you know when it's a televised preacher there is a uh you can you can score that. You could actually put we could have put choral music, choir music, something like that underneath it. And it just you hear him and it's like it doesn't need a damn thing. Like it he, has a it has a sub underneath. There's oh one sub low bass underneath him the whole time and that is it. it. Because because you don't need it. And subsequently the last scene of the of the series between him and Shiva 
there is a real, you know, it's it's fascinating because those two actors, because they didn't have a ton of dialogue, they didn't even have a, a, a live recording session with Josh and I. They did their own takes and sent them to us. Basically, and yeah. when you listen to that scene, my hand to God, it sounds like they were recording together. Like yeah. It, it, it's so it's so alive in the way they're reacting to one another. And then when you step back and realize like they were not reacting to it, they had the guideline, they the guide track from the table read, but they weren't working with one but another. But if you remember also, Eric didn't have a guide track. Yeah. For the last scene? Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, he had, he had, um, well, because remember Francesca couldn't make it to the, scene oh god that's right we had to fill in that's right so he didn't yeah. even know what she was gonna be doing it was yet, it was liz who like liz kelly filled right. in liz i you know what but i, I did kelly I who did plays wonder and woman liz in, who, yeah plays liz kelly who plays wonder woman filled in for us um so wonder woman also cool. got to be lady shiva i asked in our i wanted that final one i told him it would be the final take i asked him if he wanted it and he he never wanted it so he and when you listen to it just in their performance, not just like I know, Josh, it's you also like manipulating it 3D wise, but it's the magic. In, in the way they're playing it, you can sense it's mostly them. Like there's some movie magic, but like right, but they're circling one another. You can yeah. you can hear in the way they're talking the 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 sort of slow spiral toward one another as they're as they're feeling each other out across this room. And it pops in a way like I knew it was going to be strong because it's it ends on such a great note. But like they bring the gas in a way that like floors me, just yeah. floors me. You want to hear that scene get deflated? There's a cut. There's a version, uh, a uh, screwed up version where my computer goofed and uh, it broke the circling. So they rip all over the place and like <laughs> j- jump around and then just like flatten right into the middle and they just both talk right at you. It's the weirdest. It's that's, that's, the, like, that's that's actually the ultimate nightmare. They're just jumping around and then they're right in your face. Like that's, was it, that's it so was like a, it was a version. It was one of the final versions that I was getting ready to send, and I was like, I'm gonna go through and spot check. And I was doing my final listen, and I was out for a walk or something, and I just listened, and I I just stopped. I was like, pulled out my phone, like wrote down the time. What the like, hell is this? It's ruined. <laughs> go back. And it, and again, that's it's it's a bit in keeping too to you know Heidi and Chris their grunts and everything being perfectly timed for that well, fight sequence. That was insane. To, like, the fact that he cut it together and they actually synced up without having to move them is just the yeah. and and again, it's another example of of what we talk about to bring it all back in in the very first scene of the show and and how it all came together. This this was a cast that really got it they were all on the same page of what world they were in what parts they were playing and not just who the characters were but what their parts were inside the individual scenes and in that world really were and that's that's a beautiful thing when that hall comes together it is also too um weirdly it is the one upside or one of the few upsides that i can give credit to pandemia for by virtue of being online, there was no geographical limitation. So right. we were able to get Chris Anthony, who's recording from Chicago, to play Mikado. We were able to get Ronnie Clark to play Todd, and he's in California. We were okay. able to get Fredo, who's here in New York, and Josh is in Colorado running the mix. And so we're able to, because of the technology, connect these people. And the reason it matters is because you know, now to, to again to echo an earlier thing that you said, Matthew, we don't have to rely on actors that may not be up to snuff. Uh, you know, we I have the freedom to be able to to reach out to actors, and I'm like, oh, they're going to knock this out of the park, right? Whereas if we were doing this and it had to be New York based, that would be not that there aren't plenty of actors, but then we would have to have auditions. It would be more complicated this way the floor is open and we can get people together that like can bring the gas. You know what I mean? We can, we, we have, there's a freedom to this medium and this set of circumstances that we have found an opportunity in, which is really, it's incredible. Never occurred to me until we started doing it. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, like 
there's an actress, she's actually coming back to the States, but there's an actress that I'm have in mind for the upcoming seasons that was training in England. And I'm like, the beauty of this is that even if she stayed in England, not that's not a deal breaker for us. Absolutely. You know, time change sucks, but we can figure that yeah, out. I mean, yeah. like we have to figure out when we can record, you know, but but other than that, noon, like, noon your time, Kel, 10 a.m. your time and 6 p.m. their time. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, yeah, and that's perfect. Like right now, that actually could could work, you know. So we yeah, the, the question has has certainly been one of our most popular uh, series that we've made to date. And honestly, it is in my, my considered opinion, it is, it is because we have all the right people in all the right places doing the right things. It's not happening in a vacuum. It's not due to one person. It comes from the script that you create, Matthew. It comes from the actors that we bring in and what they bring to the roles. Josh, it comes from you putting the dialogue together and creating the sound bed of the world and then composing the music and all of those things together make for like a stellar piece of work. And your show running in direction. Yeah. yeah. No one, here's the problem with that. No one knows what the hell directors or showrunners do. It doesn't mean Jack, but your name comes first on the credits. Yeah, that's, that's that's the reason because no one knows what I do. If people knew what I, I do, I think last. I think Kel too. One of the things that we're talking about here, and it's it's an important and it's a very interesting evolution, and it's an evolution that we're carrying over into April is the cruelest month. Support, pledge, spread the word now. <laughs> is forward slash April is cruelest month. Thank you. So it's we have evolved as a team. Our process has evolved. Our way of recording josh your approach to the sound designing and sound editing kelly the the coaching and directing you give to the actors i would argue that question and byliners are probably going to be our two best made products you know as a team because we have we are building off of the lessons that we've learned on wonder woman and xanadu and I cannot wait for you, dear listeners, to experience what we have for you in 2021 oh, oh, as we oh. continue to evolve and Listen. we go into, because we go into different time periods, we go into different geographic countries, different countries, it's going to be say, amazing. Uh, although, and I so full throatedly support that, but before that even happens, dear listeners, you get not one week's, but two weeks this month. Where byliners happens, Absolutely. I tell you, based oh. off what I heard when we were recording Sabia, because the beauty of that is we have everybody's final takes. So she's recording against the final version, and man, oh man, Shevitz, they sound good. That's like good. they really do. So it's these are exciting times, my friends. These are exciting very times. exciting. In 2020, times. we can all breathe a sigh of thank God this is ending. And what a great way for it to cap off this year with byliners. And we still have three more weeks, roughly, of the Kickstarter for April is the cruelest month that we can be bringing you this content, not just in 2020, but in 2021, when the world uh, tilts into a new axis, a better axis, a vaccinated axis. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome. Roll the and, uh, get us out of here. Get us out of here. We've been going for so long. Yeah. And yeah. so with that in mind, uh, you can find us on the webs uh, at The Cruelest Month on Twitter, uh, April's The Cruelest Month on uh, Facebook um, and Instagram. Uh, again, in case you haven't heard it enough, if you haven't had a chance yet to or you've been waiting, go ahead and support the Kickstarter for the brand new season of content that this team and so many others and even are if not with us tonight. If you haven't heard the earlier stuff, if you haven't heard Wonder Woman, if you haven't heard Madame Xanadu or the question. Now's the perfect time. Not now's the perfect time. I was gonna say, if you're hunting for us on SoundCloud or or Apple iTunes or what have you, um, because we've made the shift, look for us under April is the cruelest month, because mm-hmm. that's how we're now listed. So so you and know, of course don't get, don't get lost. You- and make sure to, if you want more um, extra behind-the-scenes contents, uncut episodes, um, a chance for your own personal comics recommending guru and John Petrie, 
go and sign up for Patreon right yeah. now. It's just a few dollars a month. You get all the content early. You get uncut raw and, stuff. All the things that Josh had to bleep out of this, and you really get a like chance it. to. And you get a comic sommelier. I, you I get a comic sommelier. How cool um, I find that. You can have your own comics corner. So, uh, Kelly, Josh, as always, it has been a pleasure this evening to speak with you about the question. We have answered a lot of questions. We have posed even more. Indeed. Uh, but, but one thing is for certain, dear listeners, as we go back into the unknown one more time, as always, ears open, buds in. <sighs> Don't sue us, please. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our final piece of behind-the-scenes content for the question, Since Remembered. Our new series, Byliners, premieres next week, December 11th. You can find us on all social media at The Cruelest Month. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening.